if you will, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 12. Today, we conclude our series of sermons on Romans, chapter 12. Uh, we do so, yeah, okay. Uh, but we do so uh, by looking at verse uh, 16, which isn't all the way at the end of chapter 12. We've already covered the other verses, but uh, we're sort of returning to uh, this verse at this point, and it, it may seem somewhat arbitrary to you, especially if you're looking at the English translation uh, of, of the New Testament, uh, but were you to look at it in the Greek, it would make a lot of sense to you, and here's why. Uh, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12, you remember Paul says, I beseech you, I beg you, I implore you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable, your spiritual uh, worship that you do, God, and don't be conformed to this world. And then he says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember that. Just nod yes whether you do or not. But, you know, uh, but you're renewed uh, by the renewing, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the word there, it means understanding by the way that you think. Now, in verse 16, um, in the Greek text, the word think occurs three times, either in the verb or the noun form. And, and you don't see that in the English at all. Um, it's not the word that's used in verse 2 for understanding, but it has to do with that mental process. What are you thinking about? Uh, what, what's going through your head? What's going on inside your brain? Uh, and that's what, what we're looking at, verse 16. And it has to do with what does it look like to have a renewed mind? You see, if you think about it, everything we've talked about in Romans chapter 12 has been about what does a renewed mind in Christ look like? What is a life that is being transformed to be conformed to the image of Christ, particularly in terms of our attitudes and our thought processes? What does that look like? And so chapter 12 talks about that. It's, it, it, it's about living out the grace of God. It's about employing the gifts in service to others. It's about a genuine love. It's about blessing those who persecute you. you know, and those kinds of things, on and on, that's what it means to have a mind that is made new, is, is made to look like and be like the mind of Christ. And so that's what we're looking at in verse 16. Again, in the English, it's not so apparent. For instance, um, I'll just look at the verse with you. In verse 16, he says, live in harmony with one another. Live in harmony. That was a, that was a great sermon starter. I, I started thinking about, well, I'll just talk about what harmony is. You know, that uh, harmony happens when, when, when uh, an instrument is in tune with other instruments and you have relative pitch and you have absolute pitch and, and, and uh, you know, unless you're the, the well-tempered scale and, you know, and, and mathematical formulas and breakdown. And, you know, and, and I could just talk about harmony forever except for one thing. It's not in the Greek text. The word harmony is just not there. What the Greek says is think the same thing. The word for think there is phreneo. Um, I couldn't really think of too many English words we get from it. The best I could come up with was schizophrenic. Um, a schizophrenic is someone who thinks in two directions at once. Uh, so it is a divided thinker, schizo divided, phreneo, uh, to, to think. But anyway, anyway, uh, but the word there is phreneo, and uh, it says to think the same thing. Now that, that phrase, to think the same thing, actually occurs several times in the New Testament, and it always has to do with Believers who are thinking in the same direction. It's not like having identical thoughts, nobody has a difference of opinion, but it means we're all going in the same direction, we all have the same purpose, we all have the same goal in life. So when it says um, live in harmony, 
It's really talking about a mental attitude that says, let's, let's, let's be moving in the same direction together, all of us working together and, and having the same values and the same purposes uh, in our life. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. So that's, that's the first allusion to the mind. Uh, and then we read this, do not be haughty. Don't you hate haughty people? We don't even use the word haughty anymore, you know. Debbie and I have some experience with preschoolers, especially this weekend. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine myself turning to one of my, my little preschool grandsons and, and saying something, you're being haughty right now. <laughs> don't be haughty. <laughs> no, we don't even do that. But what the Greek actually says is, do not think exalted things about yourself. And again, it's the word for now. It's, a, it's the same word, so twice now. He's talking about do not think um, these, these grandiose uh, ideas about where you fit in and who you are and this, this sort of inflated ego kind of thing. Do not think exalted thoughts about yourself. So that, that's the second one. It says, but uh, associate with the lowly. And by the way, that can be lowly people or lowly things. You know, to do humble tasks or to associate with humble people. It can mean either one um, in the Greek. And then finally, the, the last phrase there in verse 16, never be wise in your own sight. That word for wise is the noun form of phreneo, which is a verb, uh, phronime. Uh, and uh, uh, that, that word has to do with really impressed with your own thinking. You, you're the only one with any ideas. Um, don't, don't have the, the notion that you're the only one who's, who's able to think around here. Uh, you know, there, there, there are some people who might also have some ideas. And that's, that's the idea. It's not wisdom in the sense of Sophia, um, you know, the ability to take life and apply it. It's, it's more like uh, a know-it-all uh, kind of thing. Um, but that didn't translate as well. So uh, what I wanted you to see in verse 16 is that three times he uses the concept of where your mind is and what's happening in your mind. And that's really what um, the verse is talking about. And that's what we're going to look at uh, a little bit later on in our service, okay? Okay? Okay, thank you. I need all the help I can get, folks. All right, so with that sort of as an introduction to verse 16, let's uh, again read the whole paragraph. We'll start at verse 14, read through verse 21. And bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we are reminded how dear and precious our freedoms are. And yet so quickly, we take not only the freedoms for granted, but we just forget about them. On a day that's designed to remind us that we live in a nation founded upon the proposition that all men are created equal, we are more concerned about hamburgers and hot dogs and picnics than we are about our fellow man, our fellow citizens, the estate of our world, the necessity to share a precious dream that came into being over two centuries ago. 
Father, we are quickly, quick to forget the magnitude of grace that is ours because you have allowed us to experience life in this land of freedom. And we pray that you would take from us our complacency and reignite within us an appreciation and, Father, a dedication that in us and through us the message of true liberty would go out, the liberty of the soul, the liberty that is ours in Jesus Christ, the liberty that comes when we give our lives to him by faith. Where partaking of the bread and the cup, we will remember that his body was broken for us and his blood shed for us. We come to the table um, to remember that, not because we've forgotten, not because we'd failed a multiple choice exam, who was Jesus, what did he do, but rather we come back to remember what's at the very foundation of our life, what is at the very core of our being, and it is the cross of Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you that with the cross, God raised him from the dead. And there's the power of resurrection life that is ours. And so coming to the table and remembering the cross, we leave the table to walk and live in the power of the resurrection. You know, so often we come to the table because of what we get. And we get, you know, to um, symbolically uh, remember we receive grace, we receive salvation, we receive eternal life, and we come to the table. And what a great joy it is because of what we get. But I want to remind you that because Jesus is a risen Savior, we come to the table because of the privilege of what we can give. We give to God what is his already, our lives. We give to God what he can command already, and that is our obedience. We give to God what is rightfully his for all, from all eternity, and that is our lives given to him that he would be glorified in us. So I just remind you as you come to the table and we come together in a few moments that, yes, we celebrate and we rejoice what we get, but let us also be dedicated and committed to what we can give as an expression of thanksgiving and praise for the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. That's something of what Paul was talking about when we finally got to Romans chapter 12 in those first two verses where he said, I implore you, I beg you, I beseech you by the mercies of God. He was talking about the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Remember as we traveled through those first 11 chapters that we've all sinned and all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that the wages of our sin is death for us, but the gift of God to us is Jesus Christ, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And therefore we are saved by faith. We are saved and brought into the family of God simply by accepting and trusting and investing our lives in the promises of God in Jesus Christ. And so that wonderful truth of the gospel, that marvelous truth that God is merciful towards us in Jesus Christ, on that basis then Paul says, I implore you and beg you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says that's what your worship is all about. I mean, you do remember that. He says, I want you to view your lives now the same way that the Old Testament people viewed the temple services 
your whole life now as a matter of sacrifices to God, thanksgiving of sacrifices of thanksgiving, sacrifices of praise, you know, sacrifices of, of confession, sacrifices in which you give and dedicate yourself to God. View your whole life as a worship of God through the sacrifice that we can give to him of our lives. Oh, it's not the sacrifice Jesus made. When Jesus made the sacrifice, he died for us. He poured out his blood for us. His body was broken for us. But we get to be living sacrifices. We get to be sacrifices that bring just constant glory, honor, and praise to God because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is our Passover sacrifice. And so that's what Paul is talking about. He says that's your, that's your reasonable worship. But then in verse 2, you remember what he said. He said uh, this. He said, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Let your thinking be changed. You do know by now that your destiny as a child of God is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. God's plan for your life is to make you look more and more like Jesus. And in your mind, if you're being conformed to Jesus, you're being conformed to the mind of Christ. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, we have the mind of Christ. Sadly, we don't use the mind of Christ. But we have the mind of Christ as a gift of God's grace. And so Paul says, let, let this, this transformation take place as your mind is being renewed, as your, your thinking is being conformed to the image of God's dear son. And as you think about it, the entirety of chapter 12 is just telling us how that happens. Now, this is the point at which most of us start to lose out. Most of us start to fail the connection Many of us are fighting a battle and we don't see very many victories. Is in that, that place of the mind and the thought and the, and the, the attitudes of, of the mind and the understanding. Many of us are, are losing the battle right then and there because we don't see the connection between God's grace and our obedience. You know, that, that's why the preaching of a prosperity gospel is so offensive not to judge another man's ministry or anybody else's preaching or what people find uh, moving and helpful for them in, in worship services. But you know, the prosperity gospel, it basically says that you come to God for what you can get. You come to God and you give him a little bit of faith and he's got to give you a lot of blessings. Why, if you just invest a little bit of your money, uh, your faith in, in the TV evangelist, um, that, that just give a little bit and God will bless you. He will heal you. He will give you uh, money, get you out of financial difficulties. You'll get that promotion. You'll find that special someone. Look, God has a marvelous plan for your life and God heals. We've seen it and God blesses and God enriches and God brings us together and he brings relationships into being that are for his glory. But the purpose of God is his glory, not our comfort. And so we preach not a gospel of what you can get, but we preach a gospel of what God has given and now what we give in return. We preach a gospel not about what we get as we work the system, but rather whom God allows us to be as he works in us. You know who got it? You know who really understood this? There's a little short guy named Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus was the worst of all possible people. He was a government worker for the IRS. I'm sorry, I, I probably offended somebody about that. But Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and back then, a tax collector for Rome was a traitor to Israel. Rome, the occupying power, was imposing taxes on Israel. And if you were the tax collector as a Jew, you were betraying your people in order to enforce the oppression of the Romans, unlike today. So uh, he was a tax collector and therefore a traitor. And as a tax collector, he had all kinds of opportunity to take money from people because he had a Roman soldier right next to him to enforce his, his, his judgments. And so if somebody came into town, he said, you know, I think you own such and such money, taxes on, on what you're carrying. The Roman soldier says, you better pay up. There was no appeal. There was no way to get a, a second opinion on that. And so there was a lot of fraud involved in all this. Tax collectors were, were, were just uh, uh, notorious for defrauding people and overcharging on their taxes. But one day Zacchaeus heard that Jesus was coming into town. They said, I've heard about this guy, I've got to see him. And he ran to the parade route and naturally there were a bunch of people there and he couldn't get to the front of the line because nobody was gonna let Zacchaeus through. And he couldn't see over their heads because he was small of stature. So he ran and he found a tree and he climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. But oh, the grace of Jesus, as Jesus came by, surrounded by adoring throngs, people hanging on his every word, people who wanted to see him, and, 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 and prominent people and important people and, and the kinds of people that you would want to be with. Jesus stopped under a sycamore tree and he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, what are you doing there? You come down. I'm gonna have dinner with you at your house tonight. And Zacchaeus took Jesus to, to, to his home and they had dinner together. And when it was through, and I imagine the conversation that went on there, Zacchaeus said, Lord, I'm gonna give away half of what I own. Now that's half. Do the math, that's 50%. And then he said, and Lord, if I have defrauded anyone, I will pay him back fourfold. I was just thinking about that. If only 10% of his wealth had gotten through, had been gotten by fraudulent means, it would mean he'd have to give 40% of his wealth back to pay it off. He'd already given away half of it. That's 90%. This guy was tithing. He was living off the 10%. See, Zacchaeus got it. When Jesus comes into your house, things have got to change. When Jesus gets a hold of your life, you can't go back to the old way of living. When Jesus becomes your Lord and your master, you can't look at your material possessions as if they belong to you anymore. When Jesus becomes the dominating Lord present in your life, you just can't look at people the same way anymore. You see, Zacchaeus got it. He got the idea. Unlike the rich young ruler who went away sad, he had many possessions, he couldn't go and sell it all and give it to the poor. Zacchaeus, without being asked, I'm giving half to the poor and the other half is gonna fund my restitution. Jesus, I'll be broke, but I'll be the richest man on earth. Zacchaeus got it. And so Paul, writing to these Roman Christians, these Romans 12 Christians. He says, I want you to get it. 
And he gives them all this, this insight into it. And in verse 16, he says to them, I want you to get, get the following. I want you to get this, live in harmony with one another. I want you all to be thinking the same thing, thinking the same direction. I think a good translation for that would, would be, I want you all thinking on the same page. I want you all singing from the same page in the hymn book. I want you all on the same page of the script in the play so you're in dialogue together. I want you on the same page in the playbook so that when the play is run and the ball is snapped, you're all going to the right places and in harmony, you're getting the job done. I want you to be all on the same page. Folks, I want for God's people, the people of God in this room, I want you to be on the same page and that page is Jesus. The page to be on is Jesus. When we're all focused on him, when we're all surrendered to him, when our only thought in our minds is how do we exalt him, when our only concept is how will the Holy Spirit work in my life today that I'll look more like Jesus and give glory to the Father, then we're on the same page. And that's the same thing that we all need to be thinking together. That's how God has called us. And so Paul says, I want you to be thinking the, the same thing together. I want you to be in harmony together because that's, that's what God's will is for you. Then the second part of that verse, and he says, do not be haughty. He says, don't be thinking exalted thoughts about yourself. Now, some of us are just that good that exalted thoughts about ourselves happen to be true. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'll, I'll, uh, but uh, now this, this just seems to be a part of, of the normal fallen human nature. A lot of us are more impressed with ourselves than we need to be. Now, some people aren't. I know about bad self-image and all that other kind of thing. Go get therapy for that. But, you know, a lot of us think better of ourselves. You know, we're convinced we're just a little bit smarter and a little bit sharper than anybody else. I mean, have you ever been cut off in traffic and you thought to yourself, my, what a marvelous driver that is, able to squeeze his car into such a small space. I couldn't do that. Why, he's, he's an amazing driver. That's great. No, you don't think that. You think something about, I'm a more exalted driver than that person is because I am safe. Never mind it was thrust upon you, but, you know, I mean, you know I'm, I'm driving according to the rules. Paul says, don't, don't have a higher opinion of yourself, an exalted opinion that is out of line with reality. You know, and Madison Avenue knows this. They, they sort of appeal to that um, a long time ago, but you'll probably recognize this anyway. Uh, McDonald's, um, I think they sell, I, I forget what they sell, but McDonald's sells something. And, uh, and their slogan was, they're, they're from Madison Avenue, their slogan was, you deserve a break today. One of the greatest pitch lines of all time. If you read books on advertising, I read one, uh, they will tell you that this is one of the greatest pitch lines of all time. Why? Because it told people they were better than everybody else. You deserve a break. You're a wonderful person. You're marvelous. You deserve a break today. Why you would do that at McDonald's, I don't know. But you deserve a break today. You know, treat yourself. And we respond to that because I am. Paul says, let's have a level head about this. Let's not, let's not have exalted thoughts about ourselves that are totally out of line with reality. Let me tell you what reality is. Paul, in, in the book of Philippians, he says, I want you to have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. He says, I want you to be thinking the way Jesus thought and the way Jesus understood things. 
I want you to have the same mind that was in Christ Jesus, who, even though he was in the form of God, had all the outward um, um, prerogatives and, 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 and the, uh, uh, the power of God, even though uh, he, he was equal with God, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not think that equality and identity with God was a thing to be clutched and hung on to and jealously guarded, but rather he emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. And being found in the fashion of a man, he became obedient, even obedient unto death on the cross. But that's why God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name Jesus, every knee will bow, whether it's somebody in heaven, somebody earth, somebody below the earth, every knee's gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the mind of Christ. He didn't have to hang on to his prerogatives, but rather he was able to associate with the lowly, that would be us, and the humble. And he engaged in the lowly and the humble tasks of life. So if you're going to think the way Jesus thinks, You're not going to have this exalted opinion of yourself, but rather you're going to associate with the opportunity to serve and be obedient the way Jesus served and was obedient. Very last part of that verse 16, he says, never be wise in your own sight. Um, Never uh, think that you're the only one with an idea. Um, You know, don't think you're the only idea guy in, in the world. You know, I've known some people who just thought their ideas were so great that they just babbled on and on about what they were thinking. They just, you know, anything came into their head, they had to tell you because their thoughts were so great. Now, most of those are preschoolers, but, uh, but some of, you know, you know, some people just grow up that way and you're just listening to them and, and they're, they're telling them what's going on. Just understand that you're not the center of the universe. Now, I live very close to the center of the universe because I live with Debbie. Top that, guys. <laughs> but, but, but here's the thing. God is the center of the universe. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the focus of all of our lives. And so if you're going to think like Jesus and have your mind renewed, it's going to be a mind that looks like Jesus, thinks like Jesus. That's why we preach him. That's why we love him. That's why we adore him. That's why we can't get enough of him. And that's why we always remember him. And so this morning, my invitation to you is to to apply the verse to your life. And really, you're not going to have to wait till Monday or next week. Really, in the next 10 minutes, you'll have an opportunity to come to the Lord's table. And here we will give him thanksgiving and praise. And we will remember what it cost Jesus for us to enter into the family of God. But as you do that, I'm going to invite you to, at the same time, to give to him your devotion, your obedience, your dedication, your desire, your aspiration to be more like Jesus in every part of your life. Because when you do, you will be a Romans 12 Christian. Let's bow together in prayer. And Father, I thank and praise you that you have given us every resource by which we can be obedient. You have given to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And I pray we would be open and yielded to the guidance, the leadership, the empowering that comes from above, that, Father, in our lives, you would be exalted, lifted up, and glorified in the name of your Son, Jesus. We pray these things. Amen.